last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access Podcast Series Recaps, everybody. Your friendly neighborhood host, Bobby Blanco here, getting ready to break down the first edition of the Battle of the Beltways for the 2021 season. The Nationals opened up a nine-game homestand against the Orioles, the first edition of this rivalry for the season. Entering the series, the Nationals were 17-23 and on the year, four and a half games out of first place in the division behind the New York Mets. They were coming off losing three out of four in Chicago last week. So they, they needed a series win over their BW Parkway rivals to shake off uh, a rough week the week prior. So let's break it down. Game one on Friday marked the return of Steven Strasburg, who came back after five and a half weeks on the injured list with right shoulder inflammation, and also the return of more fans to Nats Park as capacity was increased to 36% for the first time this weekend. And the 14,000-plus fans had a lot to cheer about with Strasburg's return, especially after a nine-pitch, one-two-three top of the first, which kicked off Strasburg's relatively easy start through the first four innings. He faced one more than the minimum and only needed 43 pitches to start his outing. Though his fastball was only around 93, 94 miles per hour, he traded strikeouts for weak contact and was still able to use his changeup and curveball effectively. He struggled a little in the fifth, issuing two walks, seeing that velo dip a little bit and having some location issues, but he got through it unscathed and returned to record the first out in the top of the sixth before David Martinez went to the bullpen. Strasburg would leave as the pitcher of record, though, thanks to the Nats offense breaking through with two outs in the bottom of the fifth. Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber hit back-to-back doubles to produce the first run, and Starling Castro and Josh Harrison hit back-to-back singles to bring home the second run. But in the sixth, the Orioles threatened to cut into that 2-0 lead. Trey Mancini hit a double to right field, and Juan Soto overthrew his cutoff man, getting the ball back into the infield, prompting Austin Hayes to try to score. But Josh Bell backed up the play nicely and threw home to Jan Gomes, who made a nice pick and tag to get Hayes out and keep the O's off the board. Josh Bell, after the game, gave credit to the fans and the crowd, saying that they got loud, which gave him the heads up that there was a play coming at home, and he was able to turn and make the throw to Gomes. The Nationals would go on to score two more insurance runs, one in the bottom of the sixth and one in the bottom of the eighth, as they would get seven two-out hits in the final four innings. Brad Hand came on in the ninth to close out the win. He gave up a two-run homer to Freddie Galvez, but would record the final out to keep it a 4-2 final. Strasburg would earn the win, and Jorge Lopez took the loss for the Baltimore Orioles. Ironic that Strasburg's season last year ended while facing the O's. He only faced the O's last year, and now this season, his his, uh, season kind of restarts uh, with a strong start against the O's. Two runs, four hits, zero errors for the Orioles. Four runs, 12 hits, zero errors for the Nationals. Finnegan, Suero, and Hudson all had scoreless outings out of the bullpen. Soto, Bell, Schwarber, and Harrison each had two hits or more and an RBI, and Strasburg would finish five and a third scoreless innings, giving up just one hit and four walks while striking out four on 72 pitches. He said after the game, it wasn't perfect, but it was a step in the right direction, and he was glad to see so many fans back at Nats Park. Um, Man, I feel like I've done this enough times where it's, yeah, the results are always, you know, great, but, um, you know, I think execution standpoint, uh, there's, there's definitely some room for improvement. Um, 
again, I think it was, it was a step in the right direction. Um, but again, I, I think it's, there's still, you know, some work to be done. And, you know, again, I mean, it, it's still only May and, um, you know, I feel good coming out of the start. So, um, just kind of take what I, what I can from it and uh, get ready for the next one. You haven't had a chance to pitch in front of a sizable crowd in quite a while. What did that just feel like to hear the ovations as you're taking the mountain to the first, as you're striking out a batter, as you end the game, that kind of stuff? I think not having it for so long, kind of take it for granted. And uh, um, you really rely on that. You know, you rely on that to kind of, you know, you get the fans into the game and it gives you that, that extra boost. Um, it's just, a, you know, the atmosphere changes so much. And I think, you know, we really appreciate it as players. Obviously, you know, last year and early on this year, you know, I'm sure a lot, a lot more fans wanted to be here, but Bowers at Visa, they couldn't. So um, we're just happy that they're here now. After the low-scoring, somewhat pitcher's duel on Friday night, the Nats and Orioles treated the fans at Nationals Park with some offensive fireworks on Saturday, with the Nats eventually winning the high-scoring affair 12-9. to But it was an uphill battle for the home team as they spotted the Orioles a five-run lead in the top of the first after John Lester served up a grand slam to Ryan Mountcastle. But the Nats would chip away and finally come up with some clutch hitting with runners in scoring position, something we heard Davey Martinez talk a lot about last week in Chicago. Down 6-1 to one in the third, Josh Harrison was able to match Mountcastle slam with one of his own to make it just a one-run ball game. Harrison, deep left center. See you later. And now the Nats have a grand slam. That was Harrison's first career Grand Slam while also playing center field for the first time in his big league career. So after Saturday, we can pretty much say Josh Harrison has done everything there is to do in baseball over his career. In the top of the fourth, the Nats' big bats would strike again, this time with an RBI double by Trey Turner and a three-run home run by Ryan Zimmerman. How about that swing? Deep to left. See you. You can hear the crowd going crazy in the background, and they were not done serenading Zimmerman just yet. He would again cross the plate in the sixth inning, scoring his 948th career run, which put him in front of Tim Raines as the new franchise leader in runs scored to go along with the records he already owns for hits, doubles, homers, and RBIs. And that caused for a standing ovation from the crowd of almost 15,500 people and a curtain call for the face of the franchise who soaked it all in. Were you uh, aware that you were within reach of the runs record and kind of what was that moment like to get that curtain call and acknowledge the fans? Uh, I was not, not aware. Um, But yeah, anytime something like that happens and, you know, obviously it's special for anyone, but, you know, for me being here so long and going through so much and anytime I get to, to share something with the fans, it's, it's special. Do you, do you feel like as your career is moving along, do you value moments like that even more than maybe when you first were coming up? Yeah. Well, I mean, you get those moments cause you're old. Like <laughs> you, know, you got to play for a long time. Uh, you know, I'm just lucky enough to be able to do it in one place. Not many guys get the opportunity like I've had, uh, you know, I think everyone knows how how I feel about, you know, this D.C. area and the fan base and, and how special it is to me. So to be able to do things like that 
and share it with the fan base is uh, is always great. The Orioles would tack on some late runs, but it was too little too late as the Nats sealed the series win with a 12-9 victory. Daniel Hudson would be the pitcher of record, and Brad Hand recorded his sixth save of the season. Nine runs, 12 hits, one error for the O's. 12 runs, 15 hits, zero errors for the Nats. Trey Turner went two for five with a run in RBI. Juan Soto went two for four with three runs and a walk. Ryan Zimmerman finished three for five with three runs in the three RBIs on the homer. And Kyle Schwarber had a two-hit day as well. And John Lester was let off the hook after giving up six runs in just four innings, while Kyle Finnegan, Daniel Hudson, and Brad Hand pitched scoreless innings of relief. Though some more bad news for Will Harris, who gave up two runs and three hits without recording an out, which would lead to some pregame roster moves for the Nationals before Sunday's series finale. Will Harris landed back on the IL, still dealing with his mysterious hand issue, and Kyle McGowan taking his roster spot. And Victor Robles was also a late addition to the IL with a sprained right ankle, though no no corresponding move was made to fill his roster spot on Sunday. That will leave Davey Martinez short a man for Sunday's game against the O's, and no matter... They will come away with a 6-5 win to complete the sweep of the Orioles and keep the Massing Cup in D.C. for now. But this one kind of started like Saturday's game, with the Orioles taking a 3-0 lead off Patrick Corbin in the first inning to start the afternoon. But in the bottom of the frame, the Nats offense will get that lead right back thanks to an RBI single from Josh Bell, a two-run homer from Kyle Schwarber, and an Alex Avila RBI double. And here's Schwarber up there swinging. High fly ball, deep right center, see you! later and this game immediately is tied up Corbin would mostly settle in from there though this game would feel like it was taking forever with all the base runners these pitchers allowed and after the Orioles tied the game at four to four in the third the Nats would grab it right back for good in the fourth on a Trey Turner sacked fly then they added another run in the fifth on a bases loaded walk to Andrew Stevenson and then they got some strong outings by their veterans out of the bullpen for a 6-5 to final and Beltway Series sweep. Corbin would earn the win. He's worked his way back to 500 at 3-3 three and three on the season. Matt Harvey took another brutal loss for the O's, and Brad Hand earned his seventh save of the season. Five runs, 13 hits, one error for the O's. Six runs, 11 hits, zero errors for the Nats. A rare 0-5 day for Juan Soto, and Starlin Castro would also go 0-4, even though he scored a run. But everyone else in the lineup, not included in the pitcher spot, had at least a hit on the day, and everyone, not including Kyle Schwarber, had two hits. Corbin was charged with four runs and 11 hits in five and two-thirds innings while only striking out three, but Daniel Hudson had a perfect outing out of the bullpen, and Brad Hand ran into some trouble in the ninth, but closed it out with ease on just eight pitches. The Nats are now 20-23 and 23 on the season, two and a half games out of first place in the division behind the Mets, and continue this long homestand with three games against Sean Doolittle and the Reds. Let's take a look at the opposite dugout and hear from Sean. The Cincinnati Reds are managed by David Bell in his third season. They went 31-29 and last year, finishing third in the National League Central, then got swept in the wildcard series by the Braves, though the Reds had a chance to win both of those games, if you remember. They're currently 20-25, fourth in their division, five and a half games back of the St. Louis Cardinals. Over their last 10 games, the Reds have gone 3-7 and and have actually lost 10 of their last 15 in their first meeting with the Nationals this season. And now they're looking back to 2019. They went 1-5 against Washington. So the Nationals have had the Reds number of late, even though they didn't play each other in 2020. The pitching probables, Tuesday night starter Trevor Mal- 
O'Malley right-hander will face off Max Scherzer, 7.05 p.m. on Masson. And then Wednesday night, Jeff Hoffman, a right-hander, will take on Joe Ross at 7.05 p.m. on Masson. And then to finish the series, right-hander Sonny Gray will take on Steven Strasburg, 7.05 on Masson, and MLB Network out of market. I'm going to do something a little different for this look into the opposite dugout this time around. Instead of you listening to me break down each aspect of the Reds, I'm going to let you listen to Sean Doolittle talk about his return to Nationals Park this week. But before we do that, what you need to know about this Reds team is this. Their offense is great. Their pitching is terrible. Offensively, as a team, they rank near the top five in the majors in slash line, so average on base, slugging, and OPS, and in homers. Left fielder Jesse Winker leads the majors in slugging, is second in average and OPS with 13 home runs and 28 RBIs. And his teammate in right field, Nick Castellanos, is right behind him in most of those categories except for average because he leads the majors by hitting 356 on the season with 12 homers and 30 RBIs. Meanwhile, their team 515 ERA is the second worst in baseball and dead last in the National League. Like, you know it's bad when you have one of the highest scoring offenses in baseball and your team still has a minus 23 run differential. But the one bright spot was Wade Miley's no-hitter against the Indians earlier this month. But Miley was placed on the IL on Friday, so you will not see him pitching at Nationals Park this week. Their bullpen is tied for the second most home runs allowed in the National League and the second worst ERA. So it looks like it's boom or bust for this Reds team because they are tied for the third fewest save opportunities in baseball. The Nationals actually had the second fewest, and the Reds have only converted half of those chances. So look for another high-scoring series this week at Nationals Park. Out of that bullpen comes, of course, former Nationals closer Sean Doolittle, who signed a one-year, $1.5 million contract with Cincinnati this offseason. He is 3-0 with a 4.15 ERA and one save in three chances so far this season. Sean met with reporters on Sunday morning to chat about his return to D.C., what it means to see the fans, um, and just sharing his, of course, many thoughts uh, about his return to D.C. So take it away, Sean. Sean, did you, uh, like, do you circle this date? How are you feeling about coming back? Like, what's it, what do you, what's it mean to you? I know you haven't done it yet, but I guess what are you expecting? Um, I, I honestly don't know what to expect. I, I Very early on in spring training, I did look at the schedule to see when we were coming back to D.C. and, and um, you know, I, I have so many incredible memories um, from my time there. It's going to be special for sure. Um, you know, this is my first time playing against a, a team that, that I used to be on because uh, when I was with the Nats, we never played the A's. So um, this is, this is the, the first time going through something like this. And then when, when you're a part of a, of a team that won a World Series, I think it, you know, it, it, becomes, uh, it becomes a lot different. So, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to being back in D.C., to being back in Nats Park and seeing some of the guys on the team and, and the support staff um, with the Nats. And, um, you know, I, I had some really special relationships there. I, I'm so grateful for my time there um, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to coming back. I think there's going to be a, a wave of emotions, but um, I don't really know what to expect, to be honest. Do you expect, do you have an idea of what the, what that wave will include? Like what's the mix of emotions? I think it'll, the, the biggest one will be gratitude. I think, um, I, I mean, I loved my time with the Nats. Um, I loved, uh, everything about it. I loved the, the way that, 
the fans embraced me. I, I love the way that, um, you know, the guys, especially in the training room, took care of me. Um, I love the, the guys on the team and the support that we had for each other. Um, so I, I really think it'll be, it'll be mostly just remembering like really how special that was um, to, to be able to win a world series with that group. Um, the oldest team in baseball that year um, and, and the run that we went on um, seeing fans back at Nats park uh, I think is going to be really special as well. Um, so like I've only just within the last couple of days really start really like allowed myself to kind of think about it a little bit. Um, the guys here want to know, my bullpen mates here want to know if I'm going to get a thank you video. And they also want to know, uh, because this is how different it is here. I'm like one of the oldest guys on the team here. They want to know if they think, um, that the Nats, um, scoreboard people that put the video together will be able to colorize the video because I'm so old. Um, they want it. They, so, so they're all like, let us know what time the thank you video is. Uh, cause we want to be out there for it. Um, so, um, that's a job. That's not my way of asking for a thank you video. Uh, that's them. That's them. Um, uh, disrespecting their elders. Thank you. And I was going to ask, uh, do you expect the video or do you think maybe they'll just play the 20 minute star Wars soliloquy? <laughs> that, that would be awesome. <laughs> Make everybody sit through that right before the game, like right before the anthem. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what to expect, but, but like I said, like I am looking forward to just seeing fans back in Nats park and being, I'm sure there'll be some familiar faces and some people that I recognize um, whether it's, you know, even from the third base side going down to the bullpen um, and, and just saying hello to the fans saying thank you to the fans, um, you know, for, for all of their support um, for me during the, the three and a half years that I was there. So um yeah, uh, I don't know. So last week we had John Lester and Kyle Schwarber going back to Chicago, and they talked about how because last year was no fans, they never got that, like, closure moment to walk right. off the field. Yeah. Did, did, did it seem strange to you that you left this team without really getting that final last moment with everyone? Yeah, that sucked. Um, that sucked big time uh, because my last game, I tore my oblique. I walked off the field. And I got to come in the next day to like meet the doctor, meet, the, meet with the team doctors, you know, so that they could read the, the MRI. And, um, and then I was like, all right, what time should I come in tomorrow? Thinking I was like gonna start rehab or do something with the training staff. And they were like, oh, you can't come in anymore. And, I, and like, that was it. Like, that was it for me. And um, I got to come back to the stadium the day after the season ended to pick up my stuff. And like, that was it. Like I, I, I didn't get to, you know, I didn't get to say like goodbye or thank you or, or have that. Not that I wanted a send off, but like you can't even make the rounds in the clubhouse to like say goodbye to all the boys and, and, and to say thank you uh, to the staff and, and everything like that. So um, yeah, that, that stung. And, and that really sucks for, for a little bit uh, for sure. But uh, so that's like another reason, like I, there's, there's some people that I haven't seen in that clubhouse since 
I got hurt since I walked off the field that, that night in September. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, and then, like I said, having the fans back will be really, really special as well. Hey, Sean, when you left Washington, you posted a lot of thank yous to the fans. Why was that so important for you to do? Uh, I think because like, I'll, I'll never forget the way they really just embraced me right, right away. Like right after the trade in 2017. Um, and they started doing the, uh, the do in, in, in the stands. Um, I remember, uh, it seems silly now, but I was so nervous after I got traded, like the first week or two, it felt like I made my major league debut all over again. I was so nervous. Um, I forgot how to pitch. I, I barely got a save uh, my first outing. I had a messy outing uh, against the Brewers shortly thereafter. Um, but, you know, every time I came into the game, um, they were on their feet. They, um, you know, they were, do, they had the do, the do chant going. Um, and then, you know, from there on out, like, um, I feel like I developed a pretty special relationship with the fans uh, in, in the time that I was there. So, um, you know, I'm super grateful for their support. Um, and I think that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to is, uh, you know, having fans back at Nats Park and just being able to maybe see some of them again, um, some familiar faces and, and uh, you know, say thank you in, in person because I really – do appreciate the way that they embraced me the way they and, and my wife um for she used to drag me on twitter and fans loved it uh but they supported her as well so um uh, i'm very lucky the way that they embraced me there and, and i'm very grateful for it who do you still keep in touch with on the team i talked to heidi quite a bit uh, exchanging text messages about that reliever life you know um, and, uh, some other guys, uh, kind of every once in a while, um, uh, I still talk with, uh, Mark Campbell, who's the, the Nats, uh, mental skills coach. Uh, I still talk with him pretty regularly. Um, but you know, baseball is a, baseball is a small world. So like, um, you know, there's guys that, you know, I still reach out to every once in a while and, even though we've kind of gone our separate ways, we still, we still keep in touch. You go through something like a world series run with a team and you, you're, you're kind of bonded for life. So um, that's what, you know, that's the other part of it is like the, the guys that are still there from that run, um, you know, like, like Huddy, you know, and, and sharing a bullpen with Huddy during, during that world series run, uh, you know, kind of leaning on each other. Cause we were both, I mean, we're both kind of like a bundle of nerves throughout that whole, throughout that whole run. Um, both going through it really for the first time, uh, you know, having somebody else that, that you can lean on and talk to and uh, kind of help, help you manage those, those, uh, those appearances in all that adrenaline, all that energy. And, and you know, that's something that, uh, that, that you never forget. And, and, it's really special. So uh, I definitely keep in touch with him. 
Hey, John, you're coming back on the two-year anniversary of 1931. I think that you guys actually get here on May 24th. Um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since you've had time now away from it, like, have you reflected at all even more about, like, how, how that all played out? Yeah, how much time do you have to unpack 1931? No, no, I was today's, today's the 23rd. I was checking the date. Today is 1931. Tomorrow would be uh, 20 and 31, which is, you know, wow. the first step toward a really good ending. Um, so I don't know. When you reflect on it now since you've left, like, does anything else, like, sort of crystallize or, like, get clear of, like, how that all played out? I think it gets more crazy, to be honest. Like, the, the farther removed I get from it, the more perspective that you have, you, you really realize, like, I mean, I know like May 24th, it's not even Memorial day weekend. Like it's still the first, you know, quarter of the season or whatever, but it, like it's 12 games under 500. And like, we pulled that off <laughs> and like, yeah. um, yeah, um, it's funny, like talking, talking to the guys here, like during spring training, they were saying like, uh, because we, when I say we right now, I'm talking about the Nat 2019 Nats. We, right after we hit that rock bottom, the, we, the Nats came here to the Reds. We played like, we, that was like two or three series later, we came here and we had, we had just started rolling. That's when Max pitched the day game and he was angry because we were wearing Navy blue jerseys during the day. So he had a little bit of extra fire out there because it was it was really hot and we were wearing dark jerseys. So Max was a little angry that day. Um, so sorry to the Reds players that had to feel that wrath. But um, that's kind of they were like, oh, we played you guys like right after you just started turning it around. And they were like, then we played you guys again, like later in the summer. It might have been like August. And they were like, you guys scored like 10 runs in all the games that we played you guys, you guys were like a completely different team. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it felt like is that it was two completely different seasons. Um, even though the, the guys on the team were, it was kind of the same group. We didn't really shuffle too much, but like um, something happened. And, and that's the other question is like, everybody's like, well, what happened after that? Like, how did you guys turn it around? And it's like, we just, we just did uh, like we had a bunch of team meetings, but like, I don't remember really what that like Eureka moment was. I mean, we came off that, off that four game sweep in New York, took three or four from the Marlins and we're kind of off and running. Like it just goes to show that like, you just got to keep grinding it out. And in a season now where we're back to 162, like it's very, it's, it's a marathon again. Like um, we just had a rough stretch with the, with, with the giants, like we ran into the best team in the national league and we got swept. Like we were in three or four of those games and, and they could have gone either way. Like, and yeah, it stings like walking, walking home after the game, you just got swept by you. Just, and now you're four games under 500. It, it stinks. But like, we got a lot of time. Left. We got a lot of baseball left to play. We got a lot of baseball left against our division. Um, you, you, so like, I think we might be like an inspiration to like other teams, that 2019 team. They're like, well, the Nats did it. It's like, well, yeah, that was a special group, but like, it's possible. Sure. And last one for me, um, the last couple of years, do you have like a area out in the bullpen at Nats Park where you've been like plotting how to get Juan Soto out? I picture you with like strings and like photos and all this stuff, but have you thought about <laughs> facing him? <laughs> <laughs> 
like yeah the, the red strings there's like there's like a strike zone box and i'm like i'm like trying to like all right yeah um, i'm not sure if it's worth like losing any sleep over how to get Juan Soto out like he he might be that good that it's yeah. like um you know you have a game plan going into that at bat uh, but like he's he's that good so it's like um I haven't thought that much about it. I'm not going to think about it right now because we got to play the Brewers today. Sure. So we got an off day tomorrow. So I'm, I'll start thinking about it tomorrow for real. Um, but uh, I've been keeping an eye on them for sure <laughs> so far this year. That was, I think, not even half of Sean Doolittle's almost 30-minute conversation with reporters on Sunday. If you want to hear the rest of that conversation, mostly about how he's been pitching so far this season, um, and his current teammates' hair di- hairstyles. Uh, you can check out that whole video on the Masson Nationals YouTube channel. Uh, but it was great to hear from Sean on Sunday. So nice to hear how much he's looking forward to his return to Nationals Park and glad that there will be a good number of fans in attendance to welcome him back. Of course, Nats Park is expanded to 36% capacity, so that's roughly 14,500, 15,000 people allowed in the stadium. So get back out to Nationals Park. I know it's supposed to be a little rainy this week in D.C., but hopefully it holds off. And if you're there Tuesday night or any night this week where Sean makes an appearance in the game, be sure to give him a warm welcome back to Nationals Park. That's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune in to the Red Series this week, all on Masson, all at 7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Masson All Access Podcast Series Recaps. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the Masson All Access Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And check out our weekly live episode. Myself and Amy Jennings on Wednesday will be live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Mass and Nationals across the board on the social media channels. And of course, Mark Zuckerman with the best Nationals coverage on MassInsports.com. You can also give me a follow on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco. Love having conversations uh, with fans uh, throughout the course of the game. Um, I've heard a lot of great feedback from a handful of you guys about the recap, so I really appreciate you guys tuning in um, and listening, and I'm glad that you're enjoying these so far. They're a joy to make because you guys are enjoying them so much. The next episode of these recaps will drop Friday morning, recapping this Red Series and Sean Doolittle's return, and looking ahead to the weekend series against the Brewers, a holiday weekend a series against the Brewers before facing uh, the Braves on the road next week. Until then, enjoy the games. Welcome back, Sean, and we'll talk to you later.